let's uh, consider then at this time a message I call Overcoming Evil with Good. Let's all stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word, Overcoming Evil with Good. Romans chapter 12 and verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our text this morning brings us back to that part of scripture where the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches at Rome from so long ago bridges, as does all of the Word of God, all of these intervening centuries to speak to us so directly and so personally about a great issue in all of our lives. What do we do? How do we respond? What do we do when evil comes to us? Now, the Bible has some things that are rather difficult for us to understand and accept. Many of them are tied to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Some of them, I think, have been misunderstood and misapplied. And so I want to try to cover a few of those things this morning. Probably one of the most famous statements is made by Jesus himself. And this was in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. A slap on the right cheek from a right-handed person, in order for them to hit you on your right cheek, and they're right-handed, they have to hit you with a backhanded blow. It's the only way that can happen. And when someone strikes you in that way, it is not really intended to do you physical harm. What is it? It's an insult. It is an insult that is designed to draw you into an altercation of some kind. A slap, you see, is not intended to do us harm. The only thing it hurts really is our pride. If it's strong enough, hard enough, it uh, might leave us with a bloody lip or a bloody nose. But um, Jesus said, you don't have to take that bait. That's what he said. In fact, we could offer the left cheek. Just because somebody taunts us or insults us, then doesn't mean that we have to blow up and fight. I remember a few years ago, some of you might remember as well, when our president at the time, George Bush, was highly insulted uh, by someone throwing a shoe at him in a press conference. Do you remember that? Now, that was a great, great insult in part of this world. I mean, that's a terrible thing for somebody to throw a shoe at you. Greatly, greatly insulted. I'm glad we didn't go to war over it. It was an insult, but I'm glad a lot of men and women didn't pay for it with their lives. You see, we we don't have to take the bait. Just because somebody insults us or hurts our pride, Jesus said, you don't have to go for that. You don't have to take that. 
It brings in the whole matter of vengeance. And again, that's covered right here in Romans chapter 12. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Paul said, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not avenge yourself. Now, we may think that's contradictory to other passages. In fact, it contradicts, we might think, what Jesus himself quoted in Matthew chapter 5 from Deuteronomy 19.21, by the way, is where that was found. Then I shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Like many other things then that Jesus addressed in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he was taking how the law of Moses was being applied, being interpreted, often misapplied by people who had turned it into something it was never intended to be. You see, the Jews of Jesus' day were turning this into a requirement for vengeance. If somebody hurts me, I've got to hurt them back. I have to. God told me to. But in fact, what God required in Deuteronomy chapter 19 was not individual, but judicial. And that is, if uh, someone did something wrong, if someone hurt someone else, if they were guilty of some crime, then God said, you shall not pity. Uh, That is, the law is a law, and the law must be upheld. That's what Deuteronomy 19 was all about. It was not about resorting to some vigilante type activity where we take the law into our own hands. Law is there. It has a job to do. And for the most part, thank God in our community of Cabot, it seems like the law does their job and does it pretty well. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But Jesus was talking about uh, then this whole issue of vengeance and Paul is too. And you know that vengeance ignites a vicious blood-for-blood cycle from which there is no escape. From the streets of every major city in this country to whole countries around the world that are trapped in this vicious cycle that the Bible describes in Hosea chapter 4 as blood-touching blood. What's that mean? Well, it means that one side kills somebody on the other side. Then somebody on the other side has to go back and kill somebody on that side. Then they've got to go back and kill them because they killed somebody. It is a vicious cycle. Cities all over our country today, right now, have streets running red with blood over this vicious cycle of vengeance and taking vengeance. Only God knows how many thousands, if not millions of lives around the world been lost because of this whole issue of vengeance where people began to take vengeance against one another and then respond to it. Vicious, vicious cycle. Instead, God established a principle of justice. And by the way, Romans chapter 13 talks about that too. Uh, Just the very next verses after Romans chapter 12, verse 3 of Romans 13. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. I'm not bragging this morning when I say this, but let me pause and just go ahead and say say it. I've never run from the police in my life. Not a single time. Every time they ever stopped me, I pulled over and treated them with respect. 
And even though I might not have agreed with what they said, I'm still here. You don't want to be afraid of the police? Then do what's good. Simple plan. And they'll praise you. They will. How about this one? Verse 4. For he, what is he talking about? The governing authorities, the police, is God's minister to you for good. God's minister to you for good. You know what that means? That means that God has set up this system to preserve order, to punish those who are evildoers. But if you do evil, then be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister. Twice in this passage, he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Judicial authority. And so in this whole matter of of when something wrongs us, we have that opportunity then to seek vengeance and take it on in a vigilante style. But instead, God has set up a system. He has ordained ministers, police officers who are ministers, whether they know it or not, whether they know him or not, God knows it. That they're here to restrain evil and to punish evildoers. We don't have to imagine, dream about a world that would exist when governmental authority breaks down. When people stop enforcing the law and punishing evildoers. We don't have to imagine that. We don't have to dream about it. It's playing out in America right before our eyes. In stores, shopping centers, city streets, all over this country. Verse 17 then, we're not to return evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. We'll cover this verse in more detail a little bit later. For now, we're we're seeing another expression of things that we're to avoid. My dad had a statement that I must have heard a thousand times it seemed like it probably wasn't that's probably an exaggeration let's just say dad told me this a lot son two wrongs don't make a right two wrongs don't make a right if somebody does evil to me and I respond with evil what have I done I have doubled the evil do you see that so we don't return evil for evil. If we've done, then all we've done is add more evil into the mix. We don't come away then concluding that God is completely passive or that he teaches pacifism. For we also have passages like this one, and there are many, many more. I just picked this one. Psalm 144 and verse 1. Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness, my fortress, my high tower, and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. What did the psalmist say? He said that God is our ultimate defender, and we trust in him. But he also says that God is the one who equips us to do battle. As Kenny Rogers famously said, sometimes you have to fight when you're a man. Nobody knows that any better than God. We have the right to self-defense. 
we certainly have a right, even an obligation, to defend others. We sure do. All these things then are in our text as Paul discusses how we as Christians relate to an evil world and the presence of evil in it. I don't have time to cover all those subjects exhaustively. I've just tried to tell you. The Bible has some things that we look at and we say, well, what's that mean? But I think it's giving us some good principles to operate by. But then he wraps it all up in this one statement. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, what he proposes in this passage is not just some cosmic conflict of good and evil. Though that conflict certainly exists. Instead, he gives us a very personal statement. As Christians, as God's people, we are in the crosshairs, if you will, of this conflict. And there are two possibilities presented. We, you and I, you and I, we will either be overcome by evil or we will overcome evil with good. Both of those possibilities are very obviously in the text. We can either be overcome by evil or we will overcome evil with good. This is personal. It comes to us all. Spurgeon, when he spoke on this, quoted a famous Scottish officer standing before the Highland Regiment. When he brought them up before the enemy and he said, there they are, lads. If you do not kill them, they'll kill you. No peace, no quarter would be given. And so we have these two possibilities presented. Either evil will overcome us or we will overcome evil. It will not leave us alone and we dare not leave it alone. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our text today then suggests three avenues of behavior in our quest, in our task to overcome evil with good. He does not leave us then to just be reactive, but proactive. Three things we can do. I've always loved what Jesus Christ said when he gave the promise of his church. When he said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We often read that and think that the gates of hell then are the aggressor. They're not. It is the church that's put on the offense. And we then go forward into a world and we are breaking down the gates of hell. They can't stand before us. And so here we are given these truths, things that will help us be proactive in this conflict with good and evil, not just reactive. The first thing he calls us then to do is to behave honorably. Behave honorably. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And again, I remind you, if we provide evil for evil, that is a purely fleshly response. Somebody has done me wrong, and then we do wrong right back to them. That is a completely fleshly response. And because it's a fleshly response, then it goes against a very clear biblical principle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 that tells us the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And so in our quest, in our fight, in our battle against evil, we don't fight evil with the weapons of the flesh and what the flesh can do. I'm not going to tell you that the flesh is not a powerful force. It is, but we have something greater than that, something that is mighty toward God. We don't fight this battle with fleshly weapons, but with spiritual weapons. And the first one is the one mentioned here in our text. We give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all men. And so when we are confronted with evil, when evil comes calling, the first thing the Bible tells us to do is think. Think. Give thought. Give thought. We don't always have time to think. I understand some of you guys that are up against this every day and on the front lines. You understand. You have to, that's why you have training because it trains you to be able to react without necessarily thinking. I understand that. But it's not always that way. The Bible does tell us give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. James adds this, James chapter 3 and verse 16, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first. Here's, here's what we get when we're seeking wisdom from God. Here it is. Pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And so the very first thing that God calls us to do then is to take thought to give an honorable response. I don't want to disgrace myself. I don't want to make a fool out of myself. I want to give an honorable response. You say, Brother Rich, have you always done this? No. No, I can't say that. Wouldn't dream of saying that. Why not? Most of the time it's because I got mad. Angry. You're a preacher, you're not supposed to get angry. I know that. It makes it worse. God called me to preach. He didn't make me perfect. I wish he would have, but he didn't. I have to fight this battle just like all the rest of us. The wisdom that is from above. We take thought then to behave honorably. Even when we're confronted with evil. Nothing puts our faith to the test any faster. Than when somebody's done us wrong. Or even worse. Done one of our kids wrong. And we take thought. God. Maybe even pray. God. I need help here. I need wisdom to know how to handle this. I want to make an honorable response. And so, very first thing that we do, proactive, we want to behave honorably. And if this is something that we routinely do, if we routinely choose things that are pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, if these behaviors are things that become ingrained in us, then when push comes to shove, as we like to say, when it comes down to it, 
then that ingrained behavior is what's going to come out in us. If we give ourselves permission to blow up all the time, then that's probably what's going to come out. We don't have to. We'll talk more about that in a moment as we conclude. But the very first thing, we want to make an honorable. We want to live honorably. We can be proactive. Don't be overcome by evil, but instead we want to overcome evil with good. What is that? Honorable behavior. Secondly, peaceable. Peaceable behavior. Live peaceably. Verse 18, if it's possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I'm glad this passage says if possible. If possible. Because peace isn't always possible. Simon Peter brings a great passage that he quoted from Psalm 34 in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Let him seek peace and and pursue it. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You want to live a long life? Let him seek peace and pursue it. You want to have good days? Then let him seek peace and pursue it. Restrain your tongue. <laughs> yeah. Be careful about what you say. Yeah. Turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because the world deserves it? No. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Seek peace and pursue it. And so in addition to being honorable, seeking an honorable lifestyle, and behaving ourselves honorably as opposed to dishonorably, and in that way, we overcome evil with good. He also calls on us to be the peacemakers. Remember, Jesus said it long ago. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. don't have time to preach all the Beatitudes to you this morning. But I will tell you that if you look, the Beatitudes begin with the discussion of our poverty in spirit. And that's when we, we recognize and we admit to God that we have nothing spiritually in, our, in and of ourselves that would commend us to God. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And that's where it all begins when we understand our spiritual poverty and then where it all ends. After we've gone through in the Christian life and we've added in all these things, we've hungered and thirsted after righteousness. And at the end, we become peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We behave then with honor. We have an honorable response. We behave with peace. We seek peace and pursue it. And then we practice hospitality. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
This injects a couple of biblical passages. One is Deuteronomy 32, 35, where God says that vengeance and recompense belongs to him. Vengeance and recompense belongs to God. So the next time you're tempted and the next time I'm tempted to exact vengeance, I'm going to get them. Just remember, whatever we would do to get them, it's not near what God will do to get them. We're letting them off light. God, I'm going to take care of them. Vengeance is mine, God said. I will repay, saith the Lord. So, to the contrary, then, he quotes Proverbs 25, 21. This is both an Old and a New Testament principle. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you'll keep burning, heap burning coals on his head. Doesn't sound like much. But it speaks to the power of hospitality. What a difference a simple meal can make. Was alluded to previously in this very passage in verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And here he adds in this additional statement. We'll heap coals of fire on the head of somebody else, our enemies. Simply refers here to the power of conviction. Every person who is an unbeliever is at enmity with God, and they may be pretty hostile toward us as God's people too. We seldom think about how feeding someone a meal, maybe inviting somebody over for lunch or supper, taking somebody out to eat, might change their life forever. If it can work on our enemies, though, somebody who's got it in for us, how much do you think it might may work for somebody who is seeking God, but they're scared of churches and they're scared of God. They're scared of God's people. They'd never admit it. So it's going to come through not as being scared, but as being hostile, skeptical. Power of a simple meal. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Feed him. Hospitality. Not sure why that hospitality has grown to be something so difficult for us modern folks. We've got more food available to us probably than any generation of people in history, I would get speculate. I mean, we're the we we we've got Walmarts, my goodness, and Kroger's. And thank God for Dollar General, amen. <laughs> Nearby and neighborly. May not can get in the store, but Sorry about that, Dollar General. We've got so many options available to us that would help us be hospitable and show hospitality. But it can have a profound impact on our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this passage tells us it can even have a profound impact on our enemies. Next time you're struggling with somebody, Maybe somebody that's giving you a hard time. You might think about it. Might be somebody you need to take out to lunch. Or better yet, take them out to breakfast. Nobody can get mad at Waffle House. It's just... 
I'm kidding. Kind of, but my Waffle House is a great place. Hospitality. We wrap this up then this morning by thinking about another great passage that I want to just show you. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We do not fight people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We fight for people. And no matter how those people are behaving or living, they are precious to God, created in his image. They have an immortal soul, and Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary so that they could have eternal life. They need to be saved. That's what they need. Politicians may not say that. Sociologists may not say that. Professors in college may not say that. But this Bible says it. What they need is to be saved. And God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're not here to be overcome by evil. We're not to sit passively by while we see our nation in the grips of Such horrible evil as the principalities and powers in this world and the spiritual darkness and wickedness in high places is having a field day. They've made people the dirty playthings of an even dirtier devil. And what do they need? They need what Jesus Christ alone can give them. And he gives it to them through you and I. These powerful spiritual entities are at work. They're working overtime. Why? They know their time is short. The Bible tells us that too. Evil beings, spiritual wickedness in high places, standing in an evil day like this one. What do we do? We behave honorably. Oh, how this world needs to see God's people conducting themselves honorably, even in tough times. We live peaceably with everybody we can have peace with. We we seek peace and pursue it. We practice hospitality. You say, that doesn't sound like much. I'll remind you of what the Bible says then in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 that ties it all together. This is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So that we look at what God teaches us in his word and say, God, I'm not going to be overcome by evil. I'm not going to let evil push me into responding with evil. But Lord, I want to live honorably and peaceably. God, I, I, I want to show hospitality to people so I can have a conversation with them about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe today you're one of those. You're one of those who needs the gospel. I'm not going to ask you today if you're a religious person. If you weren't a religious person, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be watching on TV. I'm not going to ask you today if you're not a good person because you may very well, in your own eyes at least, be good. 
But I'll remind you, I, I don't ask you that question because God's already answered it. There is none good save one, and that is God. Because God is good then and we're not, we have a problem. And it's a problem that only faith in Jesus Christ can solve. Maybe you're today, this is your moment to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. To believe on Him. To receive that free offer of forgiveness. Maybe today then is your day. To come forward and profess your faith in Christ and follow Him in baptism. Maybe today is your day. You just say, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with evil and what I need to do about it. Help me, God, then to follow your principles by faith. Let's stand together, please.